no-so-daily listeners. This is Chad Campbell, and today I'm talking about the main event of WrestleMania 1, a tag team match with Hulk Hogan and Mr. T versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Rowdy Roddy Piper. These matches sometimes can be some of the toughest matches to talk about in audio form because, let's face it, this is one of the more famous matches in modern history. If uh, we know the history book of most things is written by the winners and for U.S. professional wrestling since the 1960s, that has been WWF, WWF, WWE, Capital Promotions, basically the McMahons. Um, And when you think about that uh, and you think about this match, certainly if there was a history book on U.S. wrestling from 1950 on, there would for sure be a hefty chapter on WrestleMania and more than likely this match in of itself. I was trying to think of what some other contenders for other famous matches that would be similar in magnitude to this one. Uh, Hulk versus Andre from WrestleMania 3, maybe Hulk versus Macho Man from WrestleMania 5, Rock versus Austin. Uh, the Montreal Screwjob, Hulk Hogan versus Iron Sheik, etc. And I think the main thing that differentiates this match in particular from a lot of those other matches is those other matches either have one super huge angle, uh, either purposely in the case of Rock versus Austin or a legitimate screw job in the case of the Montreal screw job that changes the trajectory of the promotion and the business as a whole, or the match is such a bona fide box office or storytelling success uh, that the in-ring work took a back seat. Um, obviously, like Hulk versus Andre, I think is a match that's very... Uh, contentiously debated on how good exactly the in-ring quality is, but I would think uh, most people would agree that you rank it a certain high magnitude based on they did what they were supposed to do and not necessarily the actual athleticism uh, that you're seeing on display here. Uh, this tag team match from WrestleMania 1's main event is is a little bit different from that. It's It's an interesting match to dissect from that category in that it certainly was a box office success it certainly is a very enjoyable match but it's one that people seem to put like in the good very good low grade great type of category when we start quantifying things uh you know you're three and a half maybe four stars as an outlier it's very rare to hear someone say oh i hate this tag match Or, you know, this is a five-star classic. You get that more on the overall show in of itself. Like, sometimes people will rank WrestleMania 1 a 10 out of 10 as far as shows are concerned because, hey, it's what started everything, right? So that's why I think this match is, is interesting from that regard to dissect, but it can feel a little bit... uh 
routine when you talk about it because you know the beats, you know kind of what happens, you know the screenshots from this match. They're so ingrained in your mind. This is one of the first matches you will go to if you want to study the history of professional wrestling as a new fan. It's readily available on Peacock and tons of other streaming services that they've had. It's a match they keep presenting uh, in their history as important. Um, so so let's let's dive in. One thing that I will talk about is, of course, there's the backstory on how much WrestleMania won, how much of the company was actually leveraged into this event, uh, how big of a gamble or risk it was overall. And I think that's an interesting concept. Um, I think there's been some long-form deep dives that are uh, very engaging on that. I'll just quickly say that when the Place to Be podcast did their reboot and went back to 1985, and when we were doing our chronological through the WWE Network and was watching some of those horrid uh, Tuesday Night Titans episodes, I would say the, the silver lining from that was being able to watch the build to this event, and it gave a lot of context. Um, it, it shows that I do think this was an important show and they certainly kind of beefed up this show, which we'll get to with some of the celebrity appearances that happened in the main event. They certainly were leveraged in that way that they put more eggs into the basket of this show. But just from what I've seen from the financial information we have, I don't think you know, Titan Sports was packing up if this show only drew eight to 9,000 at the Garden. And to be realistic, it never was. Uh, so I would say, you know, if, if this is a match that you do feel like, oh, I've seen that match a hundred times, I do think it is worth watching uh, the Tuesday Night Titans and the build up to this match, uh, really from the Captain Lou Albano uh face turn onward is when it really starts pushing towards uh, the main event of WrestleMania 1. So let's talk about the pomp and circumstances surrounding the main event, and I believe they did a absolute spot-on perfect job in selecting the celebrities that they have here. First, you have Billy Martin to be the guest ring announcer. Obviously a New York stalwart, but also someone that would have been a household name to other uh, individuals that were sports fans. So he's that great, not, you know, A-list celebrity, but it's someone very recognizable. He did his job well. He seemed happy to be there when they give the close-up to him during the match, and he's laughing and enjoying the action. So he was great. Liberace. Amazing. I mean, this is one of the moments, him and the Rockets, them kicking in the ring. That's what you see on all these, you know, tear-inducing, nostalgia-filled, let's look back at the history of this promotion. That's one of the images you see all the time. And it, it works. It feels big. It feels like show business. Um, it, it just works so well. Gorilla, while Liberace is in the ring, calls the, this the wrestling event of the century. And, you know, that doesn't feel like any hyperbole at, at all. Uh, it feels like, okay, this is this is 
absolutely what this is. And I think that's a clear distinction, too. I mean, you have to remember this is March 1985. There had been two Starcades previous to this event. There had been the Final Conflict, which I think you can also see some parallels just as far as an ingrained angle that was having a quote-unquote blow-off and compare it to the tag match main event here. And both work, but none of those Jim Crockett promotions events, as well as the Star Wars events that World Class put on, had near the celebrity input or the kind of pomp and circumstance that surrounds this event. Then you get the iconic Roddy Piper entrance with the bagpipes, his smirk, uh, the seconds, Mr. Wonderful, and Cowboy Bob Ace Orton accompanying him i mean piper is at the peak of his powers as far as character here just completely detestable uh, amazing trash is pelted into the ring when he comes in uh, but then i think it's the biggest distinction why i think this works overall because you have muhammad ali come out this is when muhammad ali this is a pivotal moment for even muhammad ali because he still looks in good shape his health hadn't deteriorated enough, so he still looked prominent. He still looked in good shape and still looked like, you know, he could lay one on you and knock you out sight unseen. So that was very important that you weren't getting kind of the shell of the man that Muhammad Ali would become. But to counteract that, you have Muhammad Ali, one of the most famous athletes in U.S. history, uh, up there, you know, Mount Rushmore still to this day with like Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, etc., Jesse Owens. Then you get Hulk Hogan coming in with his entrance and Mr. T. You get the iconic uh, locker room view with Vince looking on in the background. And the biggest pro for this match to me is how big of a star Hulk Hogan feels. He feels like the biggest star in a room full of stars. And that cannot be understated. He is sharing a ring with Muhammad Ali. And at this point in time, on March 31st, 1985, Hogan is the biggest star in that ring. And that's, that's just an amazing accomplishment that shows how well they had presented him, that shows how well they harnessed like the lightning in the bottle and made it sustain from the glimpses you saw in AWA when Hulkamania was first starting to come around in 1982, late 1982, 1983, and they really sustained that till you know Royal Rumble 1992 is one of the first kind of instances where you can hear audible booze for Hogan in a babyface act. Uh, so, you know, an, an eight, nine-year run of being on top, of being the unequivocally the guy. Um, and right here, he's in the peak of his powers. Uh, so as far as the match, the, the highlights of what makes this match work, you get the Hogan Orndorff tease that starts off and kind of the dance they do uh, for the first tags where Piper gets tagged in, then Mr. T wants to tag in. Uh, so Mr. T and Piper actually start the match off. Uh, great face-off, a really hated face-off between them two. And then you get the first kind of proof of concept where T proves he can wrestle. He does a couple of very quick, basic switch outs, which are fine. You know, nothing reinventing the wheel, but just showing, hey, you know, like Hulk's shown this guy the ropes. 
He can wrestle. He can be effective, etc. The Hills do a great regroup where, of course, they act like they're going back to the locker room. Piper flicks off the crowd. Then, of course, they come back. Uh, I thought it was important that when they come back, T is able to maintain control. He slams uh, Piper out. Hogan comes in, gives the big boot to Piper, and he takes a great bump off of that. Actually, to the floor, he flips over the ropes and onto the floor. Just a great bump there. Uh, But then that sets up the heel heat for this match where Orndorff gets a cheap shot in. Hogan's hurt on the outside. Piper uses the chair. The heels on top are very uh, tenacious throughout their attack. They do great stuff with Hogan. It's never boring and Nero stays. It's welcome. I thought it was good. The way that T is integrated into this match where you would think on the surface, like T would be obviously the weakest person on his team that he would have the heat, but you know, for a match of this magnitude and this responsibility, I think it was a good, uh, idea to have Hogan be the one that gets most of the heel heat throughout the match. So there is some kind of teases. Uh, he does make the tag to T and then the heels go on offense almost immediately on T and you think like, okay, here we go. You know, like the, the heat on Hogan was long enough that you could see this match as being one of those classic two face in peril structure matches that happened uh, all the time in AWA, that happened not as frequently as in AWA, but a good bit of the time in Jim Cropper promotions, and weren't absolutely excluded in WWF tag team matches either. Uh, if you watch some of the old Tony Gurria, Rick Martel matches, you'll see both of them do have a face in peril sequence uh, throughout the match. So it seems like we're headed that way. But almost immediately, uh, Mr. T is able to escape a front face lock, hits the hot tag to Hogan, and then we essentially go into the finish. So again, they, you know, T did enough to prove himself here. And when you think about like all-time celebrity performances in a wrestling ring, um, you know, this is certainly more on the positive than the negative. But you can also see that they were very, you know, strategic and tentative in what Mr. T actually did here. They had Pat Patterson be the official of this match as kind of the architect of the match overall, and he's there to direct traffic or to troubleshoot anything that goes awry. Um, And it's a match that has a lot of moving parts, even with the finish where Snuka gets involved. Of course, we know the finish now, Cowboy Bob comes off the top rope with his cast and accidentally hits Orndorff. The faces get the pin on Orndorff. Big pop. Faces celebrate. Uh, Orton and Piper leave Orndorff in the ring. And, you know, you do get that tease of, you know, the faces actually kind of consoling Orndorff a little bit. Uh, that's, that's sort of the hook for the next chapter in this series. So a, a, a very good match overall um, and a very fun match. And that, again, makes everything come full circle where this match is what I like to personify as comfort food wrestling. Again, this is not a match that if I did a 1985 worldwide match ranking, this wouldn't be uh, probably in even my top 100 matches of the year. If I just go strictly by the spreadsheet, by my decibel system, etc. But 
much in the way that if you think in your mind in the past year or two or three or four or five years, you know, what's the best meal I ever had? Okay, that may have been a very expensive, elaborate steakhouse that still delivered or a great piece of seafood uh, sitting oceanside that was extremely fresh or, you know, just a big smorgasbord of food that you shared with friends, etc. Something extravagant, something elaborate, etc. This match in of itself, when you look at the bones of the match, is comfort food. This is, you know, your Christmas ham that you have with your family. This is your country fried steak that your 85-year-old grandmother makes for you. The ingredients are not extraordinary, but when mixed together, they give an extraordinary result. So the end result of this match is, you know, is this a great match? Is this an amazing match from an in-ring quality standpoint? No. Would I change anything about this match? No fucking way. Thank you for listening. I'll give a quick plug that you can catch me on the Wrestling Warzone podcast with Justin Rosero. We have just finished SummerSlam 1996. Uh, We should be getting back into that after a four-month hiatus. Uh, Also, please rate and review and give a listen to all the other great shows on the North-South Connection Network. Until next time, this is Chad Campbell signing off.